a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Last year, a routine punishment carried out by Iran's morality police got carried away and ended in the tragic death of a 22 year old, Masa Amini. The protests that followed this horrible incident and the subsequent executions by the Ayatollah regime has shown one very clear thing to the world. The women of Iran are not backing down. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Last year, the First Lady of Ukraine penned an op-ed declaring to Vladimir Putin and the world that freedom's victory in Ukraine would have a feminine face. We've marveled at the women of Afghanistan who, after experiencing the freedom to pursue education, to run their own business and hold positions of power in government, have defied Taliban oppression as they continue to move forward while going underground to move the women of freedom movement forward in their country. Today, we turn our attention to the equally extraordinary women of Iran who, not backing down from crackdowns, continue to stand for their rights and for freedoms. And it is a a real treat and a special privilege for us uh, to have joining us today from Dubai, uh, Suzanne Kiampour, who's a foreign affairs correspondent and presenter specializing in national security in the Middle East for the BBC. She's also the creator and host of the BBC series, Women Building Peace. Uh, She has a piece in Politico that is just absolutely powerful uh, about Iran. And uh, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for giving this important story and cause and the power of women a platform. Uh, And so let's start with just kind of the uh, where are we in terms of what's happening in Iran, in terms of the protesters, the executions? Give us an update. So it's an interesting week to be having this conversation, actually, because Twitter is aflame, in a sense, in the Iranian Twitter world, rather, because Mary Louise Kelly of NPR has been given a rare visa and is reporting from inside Iran. So it's a great time to be talking about this this week because there is an American reporter inside Iran who's been given rare access, a rare reporting visa, and that is Mary Louise Kelly of NPR. And this this, this report have come on the heels of a story that broke where the Supreme Leader allegedly is going to be handing down pardons for people who were involved in the protests, who were arrested. Um, But there's a bit of nuance around this. And a lot of human rights watchers are warning 
the rest of the world to not really believe this because Iran is, has a very sophisticated propaganda machine. And as much as they like to say that they don't really care about what the West thinks and they're kind of, you know, that's part of the revolutionary fabric of the regime, they do actually care about what the narrative is that's pumped out abroad, which is why they have invited an American reporter to come and witness the what's happening in Iran. And effectively, they, they thought that she would be reporting back that, oh, it's all hyped up and, you know, the protests are instigated by the West, etc. So what's interesting is in the interview that Mary Louise Kelly did with the foreign minister today, the Iranian foreign minister in Tehran, mm. she said, that when she was on the streets talking to people, asking their opinion, asking their take, you know, why are you angry, what's happening here, they actually said, we're fighting back against repression, we're fighting back against the regime, and they pointed around at cameras, some of them pointed around at cameras and expressed concern that they're being watched. Now, before, when Mary Louise Kelly announced that she was in Iran, a lot of the kind of diaspora expressed hesitation and said that they, you know, she wouldn't be able to get the real story because the regime cracks down on the public and free speech. That's the whole reason why there's a revolution happening. And they wouldn't have been wrong, except for it's really telling that, again, people, and I mentioned this, this in my piece, People feel like they have nothing to lose. And now they're not afraid of actually saying, yeah, we're out here fighting repression. So the regime has invited an American reporter thinking that she's going to be able to go back and report back home and say, oh, you know, this is all hyped up. And these stories that we see on social media are not necessarily true, but that's not the case. Uh, wow, that is fascinating, uh, and and so interesting. Your your piece is so powerful, and and one of the lines that just struck me and just resonated. Uh, you talked about how you've kept a keen eye on the hidden power of women uh, in the Middle East. That uh, all this time they've been quietly, strategically, slowly pulling at a literal thread in the fabric of Islamic Republic regime. Uh, and now that it's starting to unravel. So give us a, a little sense. You shared an experience of visiting uh, family in Tehran. Uh, give us a little sense of, of that experience and kind of that feeling and what you're seeing and sensing now. So in the story that I recounted in the piece, which was 15 years ago now, which was the last time, unfortunately, that I was there because I then ended up going into journalism and it's quite difficult to go to Iran as a journalist, particularly as a dual national. Right. And so in that experience, I saw how women were quietly rebelling and how they used kind of their own self-expression within the confines of Islamic dress to fight back. You know, I mentioned the colors that we were wearing, the attempts that we made in order to wear as little fabric on our hair as po- on our over our hair as possible. And so I saw literally that this Islamic dress, this hijab, is precisely how the Iranian women were fighting the Islamic regime and slowly, deliberately. And it start, I started to see it unravel 15 years ago. And now, clearly, Mahsa Amini's story effectively was the last straw or the last thread, so to speak. And it just now is spiraling out of control. It is unraveling out of, out of control, and it can't be sewn back. I mean, we can, we can take this metaphor and really run with it. <laughs> 
Uh, it's so true. And as they as they have pulled on that thread and continue to do it, I, I think it's interesting. You you point out the fact that one of the the tools of the regime has has been kind of this whiplash effect of kind of easing and then cracking down uh, on the uh, morality police and and some of those kinds of things. Give us a little sense of that in terms of how that plays, and then particularly how that's no longer working quite the way it used to. Well, the Iranian government, the Islamic Republic, governs in politics of fear. It governs in psychological manipulation. I mean, quite frankly, you know, there's a reason why they pick and choose the kind of reporters and journalists that they do allow in. And it's usually people that they think that they might be able to manipulate. Now, Mary Louise Kelly is an amazing reporter, and it's obviously not working. Um, but, you know, dual nationals get arrested because dual nationals more than more likely than not understand the languages, understand the nuances um, and understand tactics and how they stay in power. And, you know, it's a revolutionary country, so they have to have revolutionary tools in order to stay in power. Right. Um, and so this kind of style of testing the waters is kind of the part of who they are. It's part of who the regime, how the regime operates and how they've managed to hold on to power for 44 years now. Uh, but it's not working anymore because, frankly, the stories that they were able to tell the people aren't working anymore and they weren't able to keep the Western culture that they were so afraid of out Perhaps social media was something that they really could not crack down on the way they could on, you know, satellite dishes, for right. example, um, and other ways of of media and the outside world coming into the country. And it just, you know, technology beat them. And Gen Z is just a next level generation, quite frankly. And Gen Z is a next next level generation all over the world. And the Gen Z of Iran is not so different than the Gen Z of America. And therefore, they realized, oh, we we really need to actually evolve. At least elements of uh, people within the regime have realized they, they do need to evolve. But, you know, it's how can you forget the fact that protesters have been executed? How can you forget that children have died because of these protests? So, I mean, this is different, and everybody I've spoken to has said that this is different, and it's been the case since day one. And quite frankly, American officials that I spoke with thought that this was just like any other flare-up in the country, and they've proven to be wrong. We're going to stay with the conversation and continue with Suzanne Kiampour from Dubai, BBC journalist. We've talked about the women of Ukraine, the women of Afghanistan, and we're going to continue to focus on the women of Iran. Stay with us. We'll be right back. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. If you're just joining us, we're staying with the conversation a little bit longer today because we're talking about the powerful women of Iran and what they are doing. Uh, Suzanne Kianpour is the foreign affairs correspondent for the BBC. She's the creator and host of the BBC series Women Building Peace and is joining us live today from Dubai. You uh, mentioned earlier uh, the fact that the Ayatollah in particular tends to just blame everything on the West if if something is going the wrong way for them. Uh, You mentioned the the use of technology and how that has changed the dynamic in terms of controlling the narrative and, and using that politics of fear. Uh, and then into Gen Z in terms of their use of social media and so on. Give us, a, give me an example or dig into that just a little bit in terms of uh, how that is changing the dynamics. And more importantly, where does that lead them next? Having that access to information, being able to see what is true and what uh, what is just the rhetoric of the regime. Uh, how is that playing out and where does that lead this next? I find it interesting when the regime continues to use this narrative that it's all America's fault, it's all Israel's fault, it's all the UK's fault. I mean, as somebody who's been an American working for the BBC for so long, I often joke that the the Islamic Republic of Iran is one of the few places in the world that still believes the UK has any significant power. Um, and, you know, the, the British will say that themselves. And it's kind of insulting in a way when you really think about it, because it's kind of you kind of think well are are you saying that the Iranian people don't have minds of their own and they have to do the bidding of America and the UK there's been a lot of talk about why the West hasn't done more to help and when I've brought this up to Western officials they're really conscious and cognizant of not playing into Ayatollah Khamenei's hand and they also say well this is their country and they're fighting for their own rights and we'll support. But there, there doesn't seem to be any indication that they feel the need to go in and, you know, have a hands-on approach. Mm. However, that being said, technology is obviously a huge key in the freedom of the Iranian people. And so everybody I've spoken to on the Western official side, but not even just officials, also companies, you know, private companies. I mean, Richard Branson shared my article and has been really uh, outspoken about the need to support the, particularly the women of Iran. And this all kind of comes down to seeing the power of technology and the power of information and the power of connectivity and what that can do. But I also think that there is this kind of, you mentioned Afghanistan, and I, I, um, I featured Afghanistan in my podcast and had a powerful episode where I um, connected Hillary Clinton with a young Afghan woman who was hiding in a safe house uh, from the Taliban because the Taliban was hunting her family. Um, and she had she couldn't go to school, and all she wanted was to be able to continue her studies. She's since been she's since left Afghanistan. We managed to get her out, and she is continuing her studies. But I think there's this kind of sense of guilt that 
we let Afghanistan happen. We right. let we let down the women of Afghanistan. Yeah. So I think there's this real effort to not let history repeat itself and not let down the women of Iran. Yeah, so, so, so important. Uh, give me a, a quick sense just in terms of uh, the impact of this. What, what's going on internally, the, the relationship obviously with the United States, with Israel uh, and a region that uh, is just a, a hotbed. Uh, what, what is your sense in terms of how this is impacting all of those things? So when I first arrived in Dubai uh, over the summer, I was working on a documentary that I hosted called Out of the Shadows, which is all about the covert war between the U.S. US and Israel versus Iran. Um, but Israel's really doing most of the work on the ground here in the region with the support of the U.S. Uh, and I went to Tel Aviv and I met with the former head of Mossad, uh, Tamir Pardo, who is essentially the father of the kind of targeted assassination campaign and strategy uh, in Iran of nuclear scientists and the likes. And so I really felt the tension here. It felt like being in a tinderbox. It felt like we we were really at risk of seeing a miscalculation in this covert war. I spoke with a, a high-level Iranian regime source who essentially for the first time admitted that he was concerned that there might be a kind of kinetic war between Iran and Israel. But of course, we were in a tinderbox and we did see a flare-up, but yeah. it wasn't Israel. It was Massa Amini's death. Yeah. Uh, and but now you know we've seen we've seen some tension starting to flare up, um, and particularly with Azerbaijan and the relationship between Israel and Azerbaijan has come into focus. And so it will not it would not surprise me should we see some of those fears kind of manifest themselves when it comes to the relations uh, with the U.S. and Israel here in the region. Um, And so things are tense. I mean, things are very tense. And it is dangerous. Iran is backed into a corner. Nuclear negotiations are at a standstill. I mean, how can you be seen as negotiating with a regime that's executing peaceful protesters? So... I mean, when I was in Washington in December having conversations with officials, I was told that these nuclear, I mean, the nuclear deal was all but dead. Quite frankly, I didn't even need to have conversations with officials to know that (laughs) President Biden said it himself. He just said they're not going to announce it. Yeah. (laughs) Good old Joe. Well, there there is so much to to cover. Uh, your piece in Politico is is so powerful, and and just a, a final thought from you, Suzanne, as you look at uh, what you describe not as a political movement as much as it is a, a civil rights movement. Uh, but I think it will have extended uh, influence and impact on the regime and the future of of the country. And so, what is that? Will it be a feminine face that drives real significant change? Uh, in Iran, how does that look? What do you what do you see is coming next? What are you watching for? I would say that we are seeing a feminine face driving significant change in Iran because the fact that the fact that the predominantly male Islamic regime in Iran is sitting and thinking we're going to need to reform in order to survive. The fact that there are even a few people talking about this in these inner circles, the high, highest echelons of power. The fact that these conversations are happening is a huge deal, and it is happening because of 
quite frankly, the face of one woman, Massa Amini, and then the rest of the women and the men supporting them who decided to not let the world forget about this routine detention. Quite frankly, this was a routine detention. This, what happened to Massa Amini happens all the time. Yeah. This time it went too far and the world decided to not let them get away with it. So powerful. Suzanne Kiampour, foreign affairs correspondent, presenter specializing in national security in the Middle East for the BBC. She's creator and host of the BBC series Women Building Peace. This is a part of that ongoing story. Fantastic writing, great storytelling in Politico, a wonderful piece. And uh, Suzanne, we appreciate you staying up late. I know it's late in Dubai, and uh, we appreciate you making time for us in this really crucial conversation, a critical story, uh, and the power of women around the world that continue to shape and uh, pull the threads that ultimately will create a better world. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. We'll continue to monitor all of these areas of the world where the face of freedom truly is feminine. It is the women in Afghanistan, the women in Ukraine, the women of Iran, uh, who really are pulling those threads and making space, creating space for freedom to be fanned and ultimately to flourish. All right, we'll step aside for some bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll focus on China. There's been hearings today, some behind closed doors in secure locations, other committee uh, hearings out in the open. We'll talk about that, what it means to have strategy and tactics when it comes to China coming up next. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.